0: We are going to be looking at Ephesians 5. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. I was trying to think of, of uh, what to speak on this morning. We're in an unusual place in the college and youth ministries. Uh, we've been um, talking about the character of God, and the nature of God, and uh, the nature of man. And, and we're doing a topical series uh, talking about being grounded in the gospel. And before that, we've been swimming in First Peter for a long time. And that was just what has been on my mind and my heart but the other thing that the Lord has really been, um, I guess I've been uh, reading a lot about, listening to things, and, and digging through the Word. And my quiet times have really been uh, oriented uh, towards me thinking through what is happening around us culturally. And I had a, a desire to talk about that as well. We've been doing that in the college group recently as well. Um, and then I, I heard a sermon this week that John MacArthur did uh, called Act Like Men. And you need to listen to it. Every man needs to listen to it. It's a, it was a wonderful, wonderful sermon. Every woman needs to listen to it so they see what their man should be. But uh, as men of God, uh, you know, and our call to, uh, to lead the family, to lead the church, and to lead uh, in righteousness, even in society, it was just such a good call. And so I thought I was just going to read his sermon. I'm just kidding. But like, I wanted to do that. <laughs> but as all this was happening... One of the things that, that has just been in my mind during this whole time is just our call to walk in wisdom. To, to walk in wisdom as we walk through unprecedented times uh, around us and in our culture and things like that. And, and one of the things that I've learned walking with the Lord and learned from his word is how we walk in times like this is reflected or, or, or based upon how we walk normally, daily, every day of our life. You know, there's gonna be many unusual situations and, and circumstances in our life and we're living in that, right? I mean, we're halfway through twenty twenty and none of us back in November of twenty nineteen would have said, I think twenty twenty is gonna we're gonna have a pandemic and then we're gonna have riots all over the place. And I mean we we just weren't thinking like that. That's not what we thought we were gonna be walking into. And we're only halfway through the year, so we'll see what the second half brings to us. But from pandemics to protests we are witnessing unprecedented events. At least in my lifetime, I've not lived through something like this or had to think through some of the things that we're thinking through and walking through right now. And the other thing is, we're we're seeing lots of unexpected uh, responses uh, from the church as well. You know, you would think with one mind, and one heart, one Father, one Spirit, one calling, one purpose this unity that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we'd all be landing in one place as the church. But you can read blogs and you can read articles and you can hear sermons and you got pastors landing, I mean, completely opposite of each other all over the place. And so it boils down to how do we walk? How do we live? What do we do during these times? And I think we're not left alone. We're not left in the dark and all the time with the Lord, it's always simple. Just open his word, get back down to what he says His truth shines in the darkness and gives us clarity and simplicity. His word is right here for us. We have his spirit. And so this morning I thought what we would do is to talk about what it looks like to walk in wisdom uh, all the time so that we can walk in wisdom during unprecedented times. I don't think we should be astonished in the fact that we see people landing in different places. Actually, I think that should bring us assurance because the Lord talks about that in his word. I mean, having people that profess Christ and then end up landing in a different place, uh, it shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't I mean, it would be nice if that wasn't normal, but it's part of the world that we live in. And over and over in his word, we see things like this. Again, what we're living in is unusual for us, possibly, but it's not unusual historically. It's not unusual for the people of God. This is normal. This is life in this present age. Over and over and over in his word, he gives us demonstrations of unexpected events that happened to his people and his expected response during those unprecedented times. Whether it's a worldwide catastrophic flood that wipes out humanity in moments, which that would be unique and that would be different than normal, or whether it's plagues and disease that destroy entire cultures that happens over and over and over, or wars that abolish or alter entire nations, or pride and hatred that determines to exterminate entire people groups, these things are common to human history and they're common to sinful man. These are things that we do because of sin. And so if we read his word, these events that seem like exceptional events, you begin to see more and more, they're common, they're familiar and they're predicted biblically, and they ought to be anticipated by the people of God. They, the, the question is, then, how do we live during times like this? What does the, do the people of God do historically, and what does the Lord call us to? I think one of the things we have to remember is this present age is evil. We live in an evil age. And I'm not talking about just the 20th century. I'm talking about everything from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, right? Right? We live in an evil age. I guess you could say Revelation 18. 19 and 20 are pretty good. You know, there's still the presence of sin, but Christ rules and reigns, and it's a lot different on earth before he makes the new heavens and the new earth. Three times from John 12 through 16, Jesus Christ himself, God himself, calls Satan the ruler of this world. And he warns his disciples of their coming, suffering, and death. In 2 Corinthians 4 4, Satan is called the God of this world. In Ephesians 2 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. Uh, and he's the one that governs the course of this world. We read in Ephesians 2 and in other places, the people of this world system who are outside of the body of Christ, they live according to the spirit of the Antichrist, 1 John 4, 3, that is always at work in the sons of disobedience. So this is normal. This is what it looks like to live in a sinful world. And this is part of what God even explained right at the beginning when sin was introduced in Genesis three fifteen. He said that there would be enmity, Between the sons of the serpent, those who are of the world and of Satan, and the sons of Eve, which would be the the ones of faith, those who are are his. There's always going to be uh, a fight between the sons of God and the sons of Satan. And we know how this all ends as well. Revelation 16 through 20 shows The Lord's return, the Lord destroying the sinful world and sinfulness itself. And it culminates with, at the very end of the the millennial kingdom, Christ casting Satan and hell and, and sinners and all sin and death and everything into the lake of fire for all eternity. There's no more trace, remembrance, or anything of sin ever again. It makes the new heavens and the new earth. So we know where it's going. But we don't live in Revelation 21 and 22 yet. We live here. And we are not of this present world. We live as aliens in this world, pilgrims in this world system. A world system that has been systematically crafted and designed with perilous precision to deceive and distort and destroy all that is good and all that is of God. That's the world that we live in. And we're enemies. We're enemies of this present world system. And it shouldn't surprise us when they call us the enemy. I mean, a lot of times that's, that's surprising to us, all right, right? We're called to be loving and patient and kind and gentle and merciful and gracious and all these things. and Then the world says that what we say is hateful and evil and we're the problem. And then we say, we want to defend ourselves. No, we're not, but we're not. You don't have to defend yourself. You just have to understand that even that assessment of them towards us is expected. In fact, the Lord told us to expect that. In 1 Peter 4.12, we just talked about this in the college group. It says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. We need to stop being surprised and be assured that this is the way it's going to be. There's gonna be tests and there are gonna be trials in the life of all of us, individually as Christians and collectively as the church. In 1 John three thirteen, it says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus Christ himself says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it has hated you and you will be hated by all because of me. Now, I think sometimes in our lack of belief or maybe just being naive, we read those things and we just think, well, not all. It's a little hyperbolic, right? I mean, but do we trust him or do we trust our own understanding? Do we trust him or do we trust the the church around us is trying to get the church to be loved by all and needed by all? I mean, the Lord told us what's coming our way. In 1 John 2, you see the the call, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. There's a time stamp. The judgment of God is coming. The world system will pass away. There is a for sure end to the cultures and the nations that you see presently today and we know how that will end. We don't know the timing but we definitely know the ending and we have to trust what he says and we have to understand what is behind it, what's empowering it so that we are not surprised, so that we are, are ready during times like this, so that we are walking in wisdom and it's like Darby uh, prayed or, or said in between the songs. Actually, the, the song's Every, the whole thing today was—I mean, it was perfect, like for what we're talking about today. But Romans twelve two says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." We must be renewing our mind daily with His Word. You must be replacing what you think is right with what He says is right. You must be replacing your will with His will, and you must be replacing what drives you in this life to to what He says should be driving us in this life. We must renew our mind daily. Why? He gives us the purpose here, so that you may prove what the will of God is. If you are not living daily in obedience, submissive obedience to the word of God, striving for holiness, then you are not going to be able to discern the will of God during times of crisis, during times of of turmoil, during times of, of distress in your family or at work or in the culture as a whole. You can't expect to live for yourself and then all of a sudden when times get hard to start living for Christ. What we live for on a daily basis and the way that we live on a daily basis will not only be proven during times of test and trial. But during times of test and trial, we will we will continue to pursue that same path. And if we're already living in confusion, then we will be confused when times of trial come. So this is our calling to discern the will of God and to do the will of God. That's what we are called to do as Christians. And we do this while the world around us is enticing us to compromise and to conform and to comply to their standard. They believe that their standard is right. Whatever the culture says is right is right. And those who do not fall in line to that standard are the enemy. There are times in history where Christianity can fall in line with the way that the culture is. But that is rare And I think we experienced a little bit of that in our nation for a while, but I don't think it's going to be that way for very much longer. In fact, I believe if we stand firm on the word of God and submit to what he says in his word, we're going to be living in times that are described in first Peter. uh, And I think it's going to cost us a lot more real soon. So we need to have our minds trained and renewed and prepared for what is coming. We have to understand and submit to the word of God with fortitude, with integrity and with wisdom. Virtue, character, and discernment are built over a lifetime of practice. You don't practice foolishness and then all of a sudden immediately can discern wisdom and truth when the time is needed. It's what Hebrews 5.14 says. The mature, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. It's the mature person, and they're mature, not because of their understanding of the biblical languages and their years of seminary degrees and all the Bible studies they taught and all the knowledge that they have. That may or may not produce maturity. Maturity comes from practice. It's taking the word of God, listening to what it says, putting that into practice, doing that over a period of time. You train your senses to discern good and evil. Discernment comes from holiness, not from knowledge. We must walk in holiness to be able to discern the will of God in times like these, right? In all times. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We need to build habitual patterns that make up the way that we live our lives and spend our times uh, that, that will help us to determine whether or not we're able to discern truth from error and stand firm in righteousness during times of trials. How you live on a daily basis will prove how you live during unprecedented times, and we're in times of trial and we must have discernment. We must have integrity. We must have courage and we must fight for holiness by being submissive to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, entrusting our souls to our faithful creator by doing what is right and walking in wisdom and imitating Jesus Christ. That's how we live our lives. So open your Bibles to Ephesians 5. We're going to read verses 15 through 21 and we're going to see what it looks like to walk in wisdom, to live our lives in wisdom. During times like this. Now the quick context Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5 in Ephesians 4 you got the, the calling for us to live up to the standard by what we've been called we say we're Christians, we're called sons of God, well there is a standard biblically for that and we need to live our lives exactly according to that measurement and continue to, to see what that standard is. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 we're to imitate God, our Father and we're to we're to walk in love in the same way that Christ loves, so we imitate Christ, we imitate God and then in Ephesians 5 uh, 18 we are called to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the big picture. Uh, Live as a Christian, live to his standard, imitate your father, imitate your savior, Jesus Christ, be controlled fully by the spirit of God. And here we have these verses. So read along with me. He says in verse 15, therefore, in light of all of these things, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us to understand this. Father, we we just pray, Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to discern your truth so that we can submit to your will and your ways with integrity and righteousness, Father. Uh, Help us, Lord, as we read your word to, to have teachable hearts. Help us to have submissive minds. Help us to have a determination for holiness in our lives, and thank you Father for giving us your spirit uh, who searches your depths, who knows your mind and your will, who gives us the ability to discern your truth and to accurately know you and to accurately know your will. We know these things that we that are given to us in your word have been uh, predestined for your children, prepared for your children before the foundation of the world, and we're so thankful to have your living word given to us. We pray, Father, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, give us feet to follow after Jesus Christ. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. So today we are going to look at four fundamental footsteps of walking in wisdom on a daily basis so that we're prepared to walk in wisdom during trials. Four fundamental footsteps for walking in wisdom on a daily basis so that we know how to walk in wisdom during trials. We know how to stand firm. And the first step to walk in wisdom is that we must carefully examine every step. To walk in wisdom, we must carefully examine every step that we take. Look at verse 15. He says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. This is an imperative command given to us. Be careful. It's absolutely necessary. It's unavoidable. It is a command from the Lord. It's not a suggestion for the super Christian. This is the standard for all of us. Be careful how you walk. And the word here for be careful is two words, but it means to to see or to perceive, uh, to think about, to be aware of. It, it, It means to notice something with the implication that you are prepared to respond to it appropriately. So you're saying, watch out. Look at what you're doing. Pay attention so that you don't fall over into foolishness or you don't stumble. I, 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 it reminds me of, of my little girls. And, I, and we say this to them all the time. Watch out, be careful, be careful. You know, when they're carrying their bowls of, of cereal over to the table to sit down for breakfast, I feel like that's what we have to say every day. Be careful, watch where you're going. Two hands, put the bowl down first, then sit down. You know, I mean, I, I don't have to have my dad continually telling me that now, it would be helpful. But for them, they, they, they need all of those reminders. This is what it looks like to be careful. And I feel like that's how our father talks to us in his word, right? We open his word, and he's like, "You live in a fallen world. Uh, be gracious. Be gentle. Be wise. Show mercy. Be be kind. Love all, even you're in You know, he's just he's just helping us along the way, reminding us of what it looks like to walk carefully in this world. And then there's an adverb after it to to talk about walking, and, and it's the word carefully. So he really says, "Be careful, carefully walking." I mean, there's emphasis on the care, emphasis. On how we ought to pay attention and take very uh, uh, close watch at the way that we live our life. The word walk here is just an ongoing verb that basically talks about your daily conduct, your daily living, the way you live your life. So be careful, carefully living your life. The days are evil. It means with diligent precision, be aware of and carefully examine your daily habits, your daily living, your daily conduct, and understand it accurately and be prepared for what might lie ahead. Carefully examine your past, carefully walk in the present, and carefully prepare for the future. This is what it looks like to walk in wisdom. The wise man understands his weaknesses and his strengths. He can look back at his failures and his sinfulness and his, his repentance and, and all the things that he's lived in. The wise man understands the nature that, uh, uh, that that he has and the world system around him. The wise man also understands the word of God and trusts God's word over and above his own reasoning and logic and understanding and those things and replaces his thinking with God's thinking so that he can walk in wisdom in this life. The wise man pays attention to God's word He pays attention to what the Lord says. He trusts what the Lord says, and he lives in accordance to what the Lord says. The wise man has true insight into the nature and the mind and the will and the ways of God, and he lives his life according to that truth. And it is experienced holiness that gives him the insight and ability to discern truth and stand in righteousness. Did you hear that? It is holiness that gives you discernment and wisdom. You're not going to gain discernment by reading the Bible every day and then failing to practice it. You gain discernment and wisdom by applying it to your life, walking in holiness. Then you can discern truth from error, good from evil. That is how the Lord has built it. The fool does not understand the nature and the mind, the will and the plan of God. And therefore he doesn't conduct his life according to God's purposes. He either doesn't know what the word says, and that's why he doesn't walk according to the word. I mean, if you've never opened the Bible to read it, it's gonna be hard to follow it, right? Or because of daily hypocrisy or a lack of submission, he has no capability to discern truth from error and stand firm in times of trials. So we have to listen to what he says and, and practice what he says. Walk in holiness, being careful to examine our steps, And we know from Ephesians 4 that the fool is destined to be deceived and to become darkened over time. And you don't want to go down that path. We always, in our own assessment of ourselves, think higher of ourselves than we ought. And we think, well, my sin's not that bad. And we think, well, this path isn't that bad. Maybe because you haven't gotten caught yet or maybe because you don't trust the Lord. But you must listen to what the Lord says. If we are not walking in holiness and gaining discernment, then Ephesians 4.14, we will be tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. I always tell my kids and the youth and the college group, the devil doesn't come in a red jumpsuit and a pitchfork and say, hey, I'm Satan, follow me, we'll go to hell forever. You know? He always comes as an angel of light, pointing you to heaven, and it's a lie, right? And lies, lies always come with the label truth, right? They always come labeled truth. And the way to hell is always labeled heaven, and you have to understand that. And if you think you're just going to be able to discern by your own knowledge and your own understanding or your covenant theology or your reform thinking or whatever, you got to go read what the word says. Listen, when the Antichrist comes and he's given the time to unveil what's already at work behind the world system, even the believer would follow him if it were not for the Holy Spirit restraining him. Do you understand that? It is God that restrains us. It is God that gives us wisdom. It is God that keeps us and holds us. You would leave Christ every day, all the time, if He did not have hold of your life. It is Christ that brings us to Him, it is Christ that holds us together with Him, and it is Christ that will take us to the Father to be with Him forever. So don't lean on your own understanding, trust what the Lord says. A careful examination of your daily thoughts and your daily word and actions and desires will help you to see what controls your life. Whether you control your life and your desires control you and your lusts control you and what you think controls you or whether the word of God controls you. So to walk in wisdom, we must carefully examine every step. Second, to walk in wisdom, we must diligently redeem every moment. To walk in wisdom, we must diligently redeem every moment. He says in verse 16, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now making the most here, this is not an imperative command. This is actually uh, uh, defining or more precisely telling us what it looks like to be careful. So we are to be careful. Part of being careful is making the most of your time, making the most of your time. To be careful to watch and think and be prepared to respond correctly. Making the most of your time, it literally means to buy it up, to buy it off, to buy it back. We take full advantage of every opportunity. You don't just let it pass and you just kind of use it for whatever may come your way. You are purposefully buying that time and redeeming it for good. It means to redeem, to set free, to release. Take advantage and make good use of every opportunity. Now, my first thought when I thought about that is that we don't do that, right? We don't make good use of every opportunity. I could pray more. I could evangelize more. I could love more. I could spend more time with the church. I could, I could strive for holiness harder and all that sort of stuff. But then the more I thought about it, I bet the majority of us do make good use of our time in this sense or make the most of our time. Let me say it that way. It occurred to me that most people make the most of their time. In fact, some people work really hard to take full advantage of every opportunity to spend the time on themselves. That's what we usually do. It's not that we're not spending our time or we're not thinking about how we're spending our time, we're using that time and we're striving to use that time for our own well-being, for our own pleasures, our own desires, rather than for the Lord. We do free up more time. We do diligently set aside time, even big chunks of time. We do have discipline and self-control to schedule and to use our time, but often we're doing that for our own interests and our own benefit, for temporary gain and things in this world, rather than for the glory of Christ. And then we disguise this time under the, the the umbrella of me time. I think we call it me time a lot of times, right? We gotta have my me time. And and by by me time and maybe maybe I'm wrong. I mean this is it's an American right, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of me time. That's kind of like what we we have to have. But I think we gotta look at what we mean by our me time. If by me time we mean and I feel like this is what I usually mean that we spend that time on ourselves, for ourselves, doing what pleases ourselves. Well, if that's what me time is, me time sounds a lot like flesh time. You know what I mean? I don't think we need a lot of me time. We don't need more time that's kind of outside the bounds of holiness. And it's like, well, this is the time that I can just be me and do what I want to do. The Lord needs to have control of all of our time. It sounds like the way the natural man or the ungodly man spills his, spends his time. Uh, the, the ungodly or the natural man spends his time, spends his life indulging in the desires of his flesh, indulging in the desires of his mind, doing what he feels, what he wants, what pleases him, what he thinks. The the ungodly man's idol or god or drive is their appetite, and his glory is his shame, and he sets his mind on earthly things. I think that helps us a lot of times to understand what what really drives us. What is your glory? What do you look at yourself and you think, I'm proud of this. This is the thing that drives me. This is what this is what I'm striving for in life. You know, sometimes it could be work ethic. For a lot of men, I think that's a lot of times what it is, that's our work ethic. You know, we wanna have a good work ethic. And, and the Bible says we need to have a good work ethic, but is that your glory? You glory in how hard you work and what you do. You glory in your social status or your wealth or the legacy that you're leaving. You know, a lot of times we wanna leave a legacy so people remember us and they remember what we did and how we worked and they remember me as a man or whatever it may be. But I think as Christians we're we're striving to be forgotten, right? I mean we're striving to live in a way that if they remember anything about us, they remember that it was Christ. I can't remember his name, but man, I tell you that guy loved Christ. That's what you want them to remember. You don't want them to remember you. You want them to remember Jesus Christ. That's the legacy we want to leave. We don't want to live for anything less. A lot of times we glory in our skill of video games. We glory in our knowledge of sports. We glory in our knowledge of Star Trek and Star Wars and Starship Troopers and other star movies that we just, you know, we just want to spout out all the things we know about that. And do you know the uh, history of uh, the planet Volcan? I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, but we, we glory in the size of our muscles. We glory in our athletic ability, our academic ability, our musical skill. We have all kinds of things that we glory in. But here's the thing we have to remember. If our glory is in anything less than Christ, then it's worthless, if it's on anything less than Jesus Christ and we are living for His glory and we want our glory to be united to His glory and that all that we do is meant to glorify Him, if anything less than that, then it's, it's not worth living for. Doesn't mean those things are all sinful, but Christ must be here and we live for Christ and then He's after that, Christ and then Christ and then Christ and 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 then baseball down here, you know? That's how we gotta live. Christ must be our glory. That's who we live for. That's what we die for. And we have to set our mind on eternal things. And if we're doing that, then we will diligently redeem every moment. Does that make sense? He must be the thing that we are fighting for. Now, I'm not talking about rest. I'm talking about fellowship or friendship or worship alone with the Lord. If by me time, you mean time spent alone with the Lord for prayer and to grow in holiness and to confess your sin and to fight for, for, for what is right, man. Yeah, do that, but I bet you that's not what you mean by me time because that's not what usually people say when they mean or mean when they say me time. We gotta buy back that time, take full advantage of that time for Christ and for others and for holiness. We gotta have he time and we time, right? That's what we wanna aim at. Our time with the Lord, our time with the church, that's what we wanna shoot for. Make the most of every moment. Examine your conduct on a daily basis. Take advantage of the time God has given to you and glorify God with that time. Have you ever thought about that? I got to stick to my notes, but let me say this real quick. Time is a gift from God given to you for you to use for his glory. That's, we got to retrain our mind to think that way. That's why you're alive. That's why he gave you today. You have been given the gift of time to glorify the name of Jesus Christ. That will help you to conduct your time in a good way. I need to hear that. So why do we need to do this? Because he says... Every moment of this present age is overflowing with evil. We live in an evil age where it's governed by the father of lies, the king of deception. So as a child of God, we must strive to glorify Christ. Listen, Satan cannot separate you from the God. He cannot take you away from his love. No no one can snatch the children of God out of the father's hands or out of Jesus' hands, right? Praise God for that. But he can distract you from your purpose and your calling He can distort the clear calling of Jesus Christ and keep you more focused on something much more earthly and far less eternal than what we should be focused on. And he can deceive you into believing that you need to make time for your habits and your hobbies and your hypocrisy. That's what he can do. And so we need to make sure we don't forget our calling. We are the church. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are people of God's own possession. We are set apart for Him and His purposes. And and don't forget your purpose that we live as aliens on this planet and we are alive to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ to those who are in the darkness, to evangelize the lost, to edify the saints. We are called to go and make disciples and teach them to obey Jesus Christ. Keep focused. Anything else is a distraction. Time is given to us by our Father to glorify Jesus Christ and we'll never have enough time for that, right? We're gonna spend eternity doing that, unending time and we will never complete the task. And if eternal worshiping and glorifying Jesus Christ sounds like a drag and you'd rather have eternal me time, then it is time to repent and time to deny yourself and time to to give up your life And time to follow Jesus Christ. That is true freedom. That is true wisdom. So to walk in wisdom, we have to carefully examine every step. To walk in wisdom, we must diligently redeem every moment. Third, to walk in wisdom, we must accurately discern the will of God. To walk in wisdom, we must accurately discern the will of God. Look at verse 17. He says, So then, do not be foolish, uh, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There's two imperative commands here, two commands. There's a negative and the positive. First, first command, don't be a fool. Do not be foolish. That's the first command. A fool is someone who willingly and stubbornly ignores what the Lord says. He ignores his word, ignores his will. That is foolishness. You can look at this in a couple of different levels. Think about it this way. God has made himself evident in his creation. He says that, right? You you can know his glory and his majesty and his power just by looking at the created order and what he has made. God creates people, all people, with an internal awareness of himself. So with a conscience and nature alone, there is enough for all of us to be accountable and God has said that that is how he made his creation, how he has made people. But then think about this. On top of that, God has inspired and inscribed his inerrant word, his revealed will and and nature and those sort of things in his word. And it tells us about his works and his will and his ways. That's a gift. And God has also sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, to convict and to assist mankind. He convicts all He assists God's people, he fills God's people so that they can discern his word and walk in righteousness, love and please and follow him. So if someone does not believe in God, they must willfully ignore, purposefully suppress all these means of grace and arrogantly create their own truth to counter all that God has provided. Unbelief is not a lazy task. Unbelief takes a ton of work and faith. You got to understand that people don't just stumble into unbelief. They get there and they get there through teaching. They get there through sinfulness. They get there. There's a pathway there. I was on it. You were on it. If you're a Christian, some of you may still be on it. It's blinding for sure. The Lord has to redeem you from it and pull you out of it, but don't think it's passive. It's not a passive pursuit. Unbelief takes faith, determination, and passion, just like belief. So don't be a fool. Don't head down that path. The path that we want to be on, the wise path, is this command, understand the will of the Lord. It's another imperative, and we are called to understand the will of the Lord. It means to discern, to comprehend, to perceive. It's to use your God-given capacity for understanding and comprehension, and then act accordingly. So we listen to what he says, and then we do what he's called us uh, to do. Now listen to this, this is, and, and this is for believers. If you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, do you understand what you have been given in his word and who you have been given that dwells within you? I mean, this is an amazing grace gift to the believer. Look at 1 Corinthians 2. In 1 Corinthians 2, this is a, a great chapter. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 are two really good chapters to read and memorize and to know. But in 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6, Paul starts talking about the wisdom that he is speaking, the wisdom that, that, that is the word of God. And he says, to believers, to the mature, he speaks of wisdom uh, that, is, that is for the mature. The, the, the people, the rulers of this age do not understand it. Verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, a hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. If you skip down to verse 9, he says, Just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, things that have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This is crazy. This is what the word of God is. The word of God was prepared by God before the foundation of the world and predestined for his children so that we in this lifetime who are separated from him because of our sinfulness and because of the way that the things are right now would have his word so that we would be able to know him and to know his will and to know his ways, to know how to please him, to love him, to follow him. We would know all of those things and he prepared this for us. That's what the word of God is. But then he goes on in verse 10 to start talking about the spirit of God that is given to us. God's spirit is implanted in Christians so that they are able to discern accurately what God says. And they are able to follow him in faithfulness and obedience and submission and in holiness. Again, what a grace gift. But look what he says. He says, For to us God revealed them his words and his will through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows. Did you hear that? The thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. If it were not for the spirit of God, you could not know the thoughts of God, right? In the same way that you can't know my thoughts without talking to me. I know my thoughts. I know what's up here. You don't. And the only way you can discern what's in here is for me to open my mouth and let it out, right? And it's the same thing with God. The thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now look at this. Now we have received, we've been grace gifted by God, not the Spirit of the world, that's common to man, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. God predestines and prepares His Word, He gives it to His children, then He puts His Spirit within them so that they are able to understand and discern accurately His will, His ways, and His truth. That is a gift. And we must use that gift, apply that gift to walk in wisdom. He says, these things we also speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God. Why? For they are foolishness to him. And he can't understand them because they're spiritually judged, spiritually appraised, only spiritually discerned. But he who uh, is spiritual discerns or appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? He says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ and the word of God prepared for us. You gotta tap into that. You should be reading his word every day, understanding the gift that you have, growing more and more in holiness and righteousness as you submit to his truth and you're being controlled by the spirit so that you're able to discern, so that you're able to please him, so that you're able to follow after him. So they're able to, to hear words that sound right, but discern whether or not you're speaking the same language. We must accurately discern the will of God. You do that by reading His word, believing His word, submitting to His word, and obeying His word. We must walk, uh, or we must accurately discern the will of God. Finally and fourthly, to walk in wisdom, we'll, to walk in wisdom, we have to carefully examine every step. Diligently redeem every moment, accurately discern the will of God, and finally, to walk in wisdom, we must be completely controlled by the Spirit of God. Completely controlled by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the lord always giving thanks for all things in the name of our lord jesus christ to god even the father and be subject to one another in the fear of christ listen there are many things that can control us right and you know that there's many things that can control us pride can control us when we're offended when we're hurt by someone when we feel like we've been you know someone's stepped on our pride we react right we we act according to our pride Uh, Power can control us. Our desire for positions or authority or whatever it may be, that will control us. And it will will begin to, to motivate what we say, how we say it, who we talk to, what we do to relationships. Pleasure can control us. Wealth can control us. Jealousy can control us. Our desire controls us. Our decisions and our determinations and our will can control us. But one of the inherent problems with mankind is that in our pride, We think we control our own lives. I think that's something that we have to untrain our mind and and retrain our mind to understand. We think we control our own thoughts. We think we control our own will. But God has a different assessment of what controls us. He says that we are controlled spiritually. He says that we are either controlled by the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience And that would be evidenced by the way that you live according to your desires, according to your lusts, according to your thoughts and your appetites, trusting and abiding in your will and your ways and your own words and understanding. That would be being controlled by the spirit that is already at work in the sons of disobedience. Or... We are controlled by the spirit of God who has been imparted and implanted in all of the sons of God by God himself. And that is evidenced by obedience and submission to the word of God, by humility uh, and a pursuit of holiness, by a desire for Christ's likeness. That is what it looks like to be controlled by the spirit. So we're controlled by the spirit of the antichrist, the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age, or we're controlled by the spirit of God. There's no neutral ground. There's no, there's no middle place where you're like, I control myself. If you think you control yourself, you're controlled by the spirit of the antichrist. Do you understand that? You're either controlled by God or not. That's the only two options. Now, when we think of being controlled by a spirit, I think a good analogy or good metaphor is drunkenness. And I think that's it's neat that that, uh, Paul put this in Ephesians because when we are drunk, we are being controlled by something other than ourselves, right? Other than our own reasoning, our own uh, 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 thoughts or, or logic, we're being controlled by something else. We lose our judgment. We lose our understanding and our will. Even the slightest buzz begins to cause you to lose normal prudence or caution or discretion. And the further you go into drunkenness, the less and less control you have of yourself. And the more and more you are being controlled by a substance or by... The spirits. I don't know why we call alcohol spirits. I tried to look it up, and a bunch of people said a bunch of different things, which made me think, maybe nobody knows. <laughs> and so rather than just spout one out, I just thought, uh, that's cool, and here we are. So there's two commands here. You got the negative and the positive, positive. and uh, same thing as the last time. And with the positive here, there's four or five plural participles that define the result. So it's very clear what it looks like to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And actually, the whole rest of Ephesians is a very clear explanation of what it looks like to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Uh, It affects affects the way you speak. It affects the way you sing. It affects the way you give thanks in all things. Uh, It causes you to, to be submissive to others and to God at all times. It causes you to lay down your life for your wife and for the wife to be submissive to the husband, for the children to obey their parents and for employers to work hard unto the Lord at work, for the employees and for the employers to treat their employees with kindness and grace and goodness and it just goes on. That's what it looks like to be spirit-filled. Go read the rest of Ephesians for that. But let's look at these two commands. The first, or the, the first is uh, do not get drunk. It's an imperative command. Why not get drunk with wine? Because your judgment will be impaired. You will not be able to, everything we just said, you will not be able to carefully examine every step. You can't do that when you're drunk. You will not be able to diligently redeem every moment. No one does that when they're drunk. You will not be able to accurately discern the will and the ways of God and you will not be able to be controlled by the spirit of God and display the fruit of the spirit when you are drunk. In other words, drunkenness is the complete opposite of wisdom and of being spirit filled. There couldn't be anything more polar opposite than that so why in the world would you head down that route? It's the opposite of wisdom. It's squander time. It's wasted time. It's time that you spend fulfilling the lust of your flesh and doing what we please. That's what usually happens when we're controlled by alcohol. In Galatians 5, 17, it says, the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These cannot be, or these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that please you. Have you thought about that? It is the Lord's will that you do not do the things that please you. Because as we fight to do the things that please us, we are training ourselves. I'm gonna go back into the me time part, right? Right? We are striving to do the things that please the Lord. We are striving to use our time to, to redeem that time, to please him, to glorify him, to imitate him, to live for him, to deny ourselves and to follow him. The last thing we want to do is, is strive to please ourselves. And when we're drunk, that's the natural thing that we do. So getting drunk is foolishness. It's dissipation, as as the the Bible says. That just means it's senseless. It shows a lack of concern for others. It's thoughtlessness. You're not not being thoughtful of the consequences and the results of what's gonna happen. And and, and what you do uh, uh, in, in dissipation is mindless and reckless and out of control. So do not get drunk. Getting drunk is the opposite of wisdom. It's the opposite of discipline. On the contrary, the imperative command, what we are to strive to do is be filled with the spirit. This is crucial, it's essential, it's obligatory, this is an urgent action, it's a call for all of us. Be filled with the spirit. To be filled means to be completely controlled by the power that is filling you. I read in one commentary, and I can't remember which one it was, but it was talking about a glove and a hand that goes into the glove, and once the hand is in the glove, that hand controls the glove, right? The the glove is full of the hand, the hand controls the glove. Whatever the hand does, the glove does. Now that was a good way to think about us as believers. If the spirit of God is in you, then you must be submissive and obedient so that he controls your thoughts, your words, your actions. Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit must control our lives. Now, God is the one that actively puts the spirit within us. God is the one that sanctifies us and changes us and guarantees that every good work he begins, he will perfect. We will be made like Christ. But our f- responsibility is to be faithful, to be submissive and obedient to every word that proceeds out of his mouth. And in doing so, we will be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We're no longer controlled by the lusts of our flesh, the desires of our flesh, the desires of our mind, our own appetites, our own earthly glory. We must become less controlled by those things and more and more controlled by his spirit. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being controlled by god 's spirit, and at the same time we are controlling ourselves in accordance to the nature of his spirit that he 's told us that 's the whole Galatians five thing: fear fears love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things. those are things that God is. And we strive to be so that we are controlled by his spirit. Does that make sense? It's sad that the whole charismatic movement has made being spirit-filled this chaotic thing where you're shouting out words and being glued to the floor and running around in craziness. And it's like, get that stuff out of your mind. To be spirit-filled is to be controlled by the spirit of God. To be spirit-filled is to be loving, patient, gentle, kind, merciful, gracious. It's to lay down your life for your enemies. Is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be spirit-filled is to imitate Jesus Christ. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, The continuous aspect of being filled involves day by day, moment by moment, submission to the Spirit's control. That's a great way to say it. It is not something we do, but that we allow to be done in us. The filling is entirely the work of the Spirit himself, but he works only through our willing submission. God fills us with his Spirit, and then we are told to be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit. Harold Honer, another um, commentator, said each Christian has all the Spirit. But the command to be filled by the spirit enables the spirit to have all the believer. That's a good way to say it. We have the spirit of God, the full spirit of God. Now it's our duty, our our calling to let him have all of us, our thoughts, our words, our actions, our habits, our life. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus Christ. The wise walk, he says, therefore, is one that is characterized by the Holy Spirit's control. So how do we be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Read the word of God. Train your mind to think the way that he thinks and to speak the way that he speaks. Train your your, your behavior, produce behavior that, that, that reflects the nature and character of Jesus Christ. The only way to know what he is, to know what his will is, to know what his desire is, to open the word and read it and then live your life in accordance in submission and obedience to his word. And pray, ask him to help you. Fill you with wisdom, fill you with understanding, fill you with the strength. We all hit a wall. Listen, our mercy should be to the same standard of his mercy. Have you pulled that off yet? Your grace needs to be as great as his grace. Have you done that once? You need to love in the way that he loved us to the capacity that he loved us. I know you fail every time because so do I. So get on your knees, pray, ask for strength, get back up, repent, and run. Run to him, run into him. We're called to imitate him. I always tell the kids, you don't lower the standard to where you can meet the standard and create your own little religion of self-righteousness and legalism where now you're good. You leave the standard there. You always fall short, but you get back up and you keep running, right? A righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. That's how we live our life. We pursue holiness. We pursue Christ-likeness. And that's how you're going to be able to discern right from wrong, good and evil. You don't magically fall into discernment. You don't magically fall into integrity. You don't magically fall into fortitude and virtue and courage. And character, those are lifetime building projects that the Lord does in you and that you pursue holiness, you will become more and more like Jesus Christ. If there's a lack of the fruit of the spirit, I think there's two possibilities biblically. One, there's a lack of the spirit. And that's why you don't reflect the spirit of God because there's no spirit within you controlling you. Or two, there's a lack of submission and obedience. And that's why we lack discernment and maturity and holiness. To be spirit-filled means to be obedient, submissive to God's word, and we are to to do that by by opening his word, reading his word, and listening to everything he says and walking in accordance to his word. So you can read the rest of it uh, to be spirit filled, speaking his truth, singing with joy into the Lord. I mean, I, I'd love to do a whole sermon on that. I mean, you know, sometimes guys are like, Well, I'm a guy, I don't sing. Well, if you're a Christian, you do. <laughs> I mean it's part of what we are. <laughs> you can't not. Because he says, that's what, spirit filling you, that's part of, that's just one of the things, you know? That'd be like saying, well, I'm a guy I don't love. It's like, (laughs) doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a guy. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, to walk in wisdom, we have to carefully examine every step. We must diligently redeem every moment. We must accurately discern the will of God. We must be completely controlled by the spirit of God. And if we're living like that on a daily basis, when things seem normal or easy, then you'll be able to discern when things get, crazy, when things get weird, when things are like what we're living in right now. So walk in wisdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you bless us with. Thank you for your word. It gives us a very clear, simple understanding of what it means to uh, to, to walk in wisdom, to live in obedience, to, to be filled with the spirit. Lord, I pray that we are uh, striving for holiness as a church, uh, that the men of the church are striving Uh, for holiness, to be examples of of godliness and to to lead their families and to lead uh, the church and to lead in the workplace. And Lord, I just pray that you would just uh, pull out anything in us that is not like you. Help us to to, uh, strive for Christ-likeness and to walk in a way that that pleases you, that honors you, and that is worthy worthy of you. And give us discernment and wisdom in these crazy times. We pray this in your heavenly name, amen.